everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Boy, that's what we're talking about over the last number of weeks is the idea of, hey, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we are going to sing a little louder. That's what we're called to do. Paul did that while he was in prison, chained to a guard, not knowing what his circumstances were going to be, not knowing if he was going to live another day, yet he still could say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. He says, and I'll say it again, rejoice. And so that's what we're talking about. And uh, we're, we're talking about having that joy, even in the midst of a life interruption. Um, the U.S. government Peace Corps uh, had a manual for any volunteers that worked in the Amazon jungle. And it kind of gives you uh, some steps. They gave them some steps in order for them, uh, for those volunteers. And I just want to go through those steps with you today. Number one, uh, if you are attacked by an anaconda, stand still, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. So that's that's first step. Second step is stand strong. Uh, that's the second step. Third step is lie down, put your arms tight against your sides, your legs tight against one another. Fourth step is tuck your chin in. The snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. Fifth step is do not panic. <laughs> Sixth step, after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet and always from that end. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Number seven, do not overreact. Number eight, the snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. Can anybody... Lie perfectly still with that happening. I don't know. Number nine, be sure you have your knife. That's, some, that's a key one. Be sure you have your knife. And then the last step, it says, when the snake has reached your knees slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg. Then suddenly rip upwards severing the snake's head. And then it says, as an asterisk, as if all of this is necessary, this is the most important thing, be sure your knife is sharp. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm gonna be volunteering in the Amazon jungle, uh, but I, I think it's interesting to see that, boy, we it is encouraging for us, and we need to take encouragement in the fact that whatever comes our way, that, that we need to stand Firm. We need to stand strong. And, and, and just like, you know, what a volunteer needs to do in the Amazon, that's what we need to do in these days. Peter was writing his letter to a church that um, he told them the same thing. He said, listen, we need to stand firm in our faith and we need to continue to share our joy. We need to continue to take joy in even, the, even in the midst of, of difficult circumstances because that's really what joy is. Joy is, is non-circumstantial. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter how hard things are, you can still have this internal joy. And, and happiness is different than that because as we know, happiness is 
is circumstantial. Things change and, and that you know, affect our happiness. Circumstances come our way that affect our happiness. We get bad news that affects our happiness. Somebody you know, offends us that affects our happiness. Somebody cuts us off on the, uh, on the road that offends, that t- you know, takes away our happiness. All of these things play into that. But joy is something that nothing can, be, nothing can take that away. And that's what Peter is trying to tell uh, these group of people that are being persecuted for their faith. They're literally run out of their homes. They're scattered everywhere. You know, they're homeless. They don't have anywhere to go. And Peter's trying to write this letter of encouragement to them to say, listen, stand firm in your faith and still have joy in the midst of it. One of the first things that he reminded of them of when it comes to rejoice is, is this. He says this, rejoice in a faith protected by his power. He tells them, rejoice in a faith protected by his power. Look what he says in, in 1 Peter 1.3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on to say in verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Then he goes says this, verse 5, who are protected by the power of God. I'll say that again. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Then look what he says in verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. He tells them, listen, this is great mercy that God has exhibited, that God has demonstrated. He says, in this you should greatly rejoice. And then he, he tells them this, even though, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. He says, listen, I, I'm aware, I know that, that for right now, you're distressed by various trials. And, and for some time, sometimes those, those trials are, are necessary. Sometimes those are God-given trials or God-given tests that are necessary for us, for our faith. And, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But he says that he also says they're, they're just for a little while. But he goes, I want you to, even though you're going through, you know, these, these trials, I want you to find great joy. And I want you to take and rejoice in the fact that you have a faith that is protected by his power. Let's go back to verse three. He says this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy. What mercy. I mean, talk about incredible mercy that we get from God. The fact that we deserve punishment, that we deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. But God, because of his great love for us, he gave us his mercy. He extended not just mercy, but great mercy. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2.4. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. I mean, Paul's saying, you know what, this mercy, this mercy is rich. This is like bailout money rich. This is like you were, you and I were bankrupt. You and I have nothing. You and I have, have nothing good to offer, nothing to pay out. I mean, we were in a debt that we couldn't pay. And this is the kind of mercy that God ex- extends to us, that he's going to pay our debt for us. And this is what Peter 
Peter's talking about, and this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about this incredible mercy and that we should take joy in, that we should rejoice in. And that mercy is protected, protected by his power. He also talks about, go back to verse 3 in First Peter 1, 3. He says he talks, talks about a, a living hope, a living hope. You know, he talks about how a, a living hope that is, you know, that is, and, and here's the, the best way that I know how to describe it is this living hope. He says, and, and he says this living hope is, is indestructible. This living hope is pure. This living hope is dependable. This living hope is reserved. This living hope is protected. And this living hope is ready. That's the way that Peter describes it. It's indestructible. It's pure. It's dependable. It's reserved. You know, it's protected and it's, and it's ready. We, in, in our life, we sometimes hold on to what I call losing hope. Losing hope. Losing hope is the opposite of living hope. Losing hope are, are things that are destructible. Things that are messy. Things that are unreliable. Unstable. Vulnerable. And unprepared. Our, it sort of reminds us, especially in these days, in, in, in lieu of our circumstances right now, it sort of reminds us of our health, our wealth, and our happiness. Our health, our wealth, and our happiness. Oftentimes, we are, more than ever, I think, more than ever, we're realizing how destructible, how messy, how unreliable, how unstable, how vulnerable, how, how unprepared our health can be, our wealth can be, and our happiness can be. It can be our physical health that we're concerned about right now. It could be our mental health that we're concerned about right now. It's obviously something that we're thinking about when it comes to our wealth, you know, the, the economic state of, of, of our country. And it's certainly playing into our happiness. But all of these things, when we hope in these things, if we hope in our health, if we put our hope in our wealth, if we put our hope in our happiness, what will happen is this, is that those things are futile. Why? Because they're destructible. Why? Because they're messy. Why? Because they're unreliable. They're vulnerable. They're unprepared. What happens is that our circumstances will change. When it comes to these three things, our circumstances will change. And it will play with our, 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 our happiness. And it will mess with our, our, our hope that we put our hope in the wrong thing. And so Peter's saying, don't put your hope. Don't put your hope in, in these things. Don't put your hope in your health. Don't put your hope in your wealth or in your happiness. Put your hope and take joy in these great mercies. Take joy in this living hope that we have through faith in Jesus. That's where we should put our hope in. Uh, as you probably have done, you know, over the last couple of weeks, maybe some projects around the house. You've had some time to do some projects around the house. I've done some projects uh, of my own. One of the projects was, was cleaning out a, a basement storage room that we have that's just collected a lot of things over time, just like probably you have. And one of the things that I found down in our basement storage room were some shelves um, some white shelves that um, we got, my wife and I got, as a wedding gift, you know, almost 17 years ago. And these white shelves I dug out, and we've had these things for 17 years. Over the last almost 17 years, my wife has wanted me to put up these shelves from the, from the time that we got them in their first year of marriage 
up until, you know, recently, my wife has been asking me, I, because I'm, you know, I guess a schlub of a husband, I didn't put, I never did put up those shelves. At one occasion, I tried to put up the shelf, uh, or it was around Christmas time, and we lived in a house that, you know, didn't have a fireplace, so I thought I could maybe mount a shelf with uh, mounting tape, and, uh, and these were not light shelves, these were heavy shelves, so I thought I could put a bunch of mounting tape on a wall, and then we can sort of put the, uh, you know, the stockings up on the, on the shelf there, and, and I, the next, probably within the first 10 minutes, you know, and my wife was telling me, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work. I'm like, yeah, it's going to work, it's going to work. And within the first 10 minutes, the, this shelf came completely down and it ripped off with it paint and drywall and all of that on the, on the wall. It made more of a mess. And my wife just shook her head, you know, and it's like, well, you're a dork. And I said, I know. And this is the reality. All of us, we put our hope in something. And my wife, my poor wife, she lost Hope in the fact that these shelves were ever going to be put up. Now they're not even in style. And, and now through the result of cleaning out my storage room in my basement, they're now just going to you know, be thrown away. And, uh, and so this is the, when we put our hope in things, when we put our hope in stuff, when we put our hope in ourselves, boy, it is, it's unstable. It's vulnerable. It's unprepared. It's unreliable. And oftentimes it's just messy. And so Peter's saying, hey, don't put your hope in this life. Don't put your hope in the things of this life. Put your hope in a living hope, in a living hope that will not perish, that is pure, that is reliable, that is stable, that is secure, that is prepared and ready. He says, Peter says, put your hope and rejoice in that. Rejoice in that, in that kind of hope. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He says, if we have hoped in Christ, look what he says, in this life only. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. Paul says, hey, don't put your hope. I didn't put my hope. I put my hope in, in a, a new life. I put my hope in a, in a place that is reserved for me in heaven. That's where my hope is, and that's where my joy is, and that's what I'm going to rejoice over because God extended great mercy towards me. He says, and my hope, my hope isn't in, isn't in this life only. My hope is in Christ, in the life that Christ gives us, and that's a living hope. And if we put our life in this hope only, in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. And Paul says, man, you should feel sorry for us that if all we think about is our own health, our own wealth, our own happiness, and we put our hope and our stuff and our things and our money and our bank accounts and our, in our, in our you know, healthy physical appearances or mental health, and then we're, if our hope is in just in that, he says, we're to, be, we're to be pitied. Peter goes on and says this. He tells us this. Rejoice in a faith that proves to be more precious. Rejoice in a faith that proves to be more precious. Look what he says in verse 7. Peter says this. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. So he, he's saying, listen, gold is the the most valuable commodity that we have. And he says, 
so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, the most valuable commodity, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying this. He's saying, listen, you know what's more valuable? You know what's more valuable than anything? He says, what's more valuable than anything is, is you're proving your faith. He says, let this be more precious, is proving your faith. And the way that you prove your faith is, is that oftentimes you got to go through some testing. you got to go through some testing. So we can maybe substitute and have it look like this. So that the proof of your faith be more precious than technology, because I can't think of a more valuable commodity right now than technology. But even though technology, he says, which is perishable, even though tested, I don't know about you, but man, I... About 50-50% of the time, you know, for me, Zoom, I don't know if you, you know, have had any Zoom meetings. I, I know I've had a few of those, and about 50% of the time, my Zoom meetings work out, and they, they don't work out so well. And but Why? Because they're, they're perishable. It's, even though we, they're a valuable commodity right now, it's, it's, it's perishable. It, it, it doesn't last. I mean, it, as much as, man, we all wish that we put stock in Zoom, you know, three weeks ago. Um, one of these days, Zoom is going gonna, is gonna to perish. Zoom is going to be done. And so he says this, you know what's more important? You know what's more precious than technology? What's more precious than your wealth? What's more precious than your health and even your happiness? Here's what Peter would say. Your faith. Your faith. Proving your faith is, is more precious. And right now it's being tested. Right now it's being, you know, you're, you're allowing circumstances to come in our way. And our, and our wealth is being tested and our health is being tested and our happiness is being tested. But he said, you know what's more precious? Is that you haven't put your hope in those things. But you put your hope in the fact and you put your faith in the fact that proving your faith is the most precious, valuable commodity that you and I have. Proving your faith is more valuable than anything else. You showing that your hope is not in this life, but your hope is in a living hope that it results from a resurrection from the grave. A resurrection from the grave. And it's a place that is reserved for us in heaven. And that's why you rejoice. Because you rejoice in that hope. And you rejoice in the fact that you get an opportunity right now more than any other time. While you're being tested. While you're being tested. To be able to show the world the kind of faith that you have. And that's way more precious than your wealth in your health, in your happiness. And Peter says this later on in the letter. He says this in, in chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Listen, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that we're going through an ordeal. We shouldn't be surprised at any time that we go through a testing. Because maybe right now, as Peter said early on, maybe it's necessary. It's necessary. Why? Because it can prove the most valuable commodity we have. And that's our faith in Jesus. He says, so when things like that happen, why are we surprised? We live in a world that's broken. 
We live in a world that is hurts and pains and disappointments. We live in a world that's messy. We live in a world that's destructible. We live in a world that's vulnerable. We live in a world that's unstable. We live in a world that's unprepared. And, and Peter is reminding us, why are we surprised? Why are we surprised at this world that we live in, this home that we have here? This is not our home. We're just here passing through, as the old hymn reminds us of. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. It's, it's a part of your testing. You know, Abraham was given a test. Abraham was given a test after he was given the promise of a son, and he had a son, and his name was Isaac. And one day God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to take your son. I want you to take that promise, and I want you to take him, and I want you to go and sacrifice him. And Abraham was obedient to God. And Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. You say, what was that about? That was about Abraham proving his faith. It was about Abraham showing God that, God, you're the most valuable thing in my life, even over the promise that you gave me. God, I'm going to value you over the thing, the gift that you gave me. God, I'm going to value you over the created thing because I'm going to put my faith and my trust in a creator I'm not going to value the gift as much as I value the gift giver. And so for us, it's remembering what is the most important thing to me. And nowadays is a reminder. Is it my health? Is it my wealth? Though all those things are important. I'm not trying to downplay those. Is it my happiness? And all those things are important, but... They're not more important than your faith. And being able to prove your faith while you're being tested. And none of us want to go through a fiery ordeal. But Peter reminds us that we should never be surprised. So he tells us in verse 13, he says, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. He's telling them, hey, listen, I know, I know your ordeal is not enjoyable. I know you ran out of your home. And this is, this is the circumstances that Peter's writing to. These are the people that they're, they don't know if they're going to live another day because of their faith in Jesus. He says, listen, I, I know I get it. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. In other words, as hot as it gets in this life, keep turning up the joy. As hot as it gets in the circumstances, turn up the joy. As much uncertainty that you feel around this time, he says, keep turning the dial up on joy so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, as much grief as we feel now, as much agony as we feel now, as much disappointment as we feel now, heaven will be so much greater. As much hurt and pain and struggle that we feel now, heaven will be so much better. And that's where our focus needs to be. That our focus needs to be on to the degree that we go through difficulties, to the degree that we go through a fiery ordeal, as Peter would say, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. Why? Because you prove, you prove, what the most valuable commodity you have. And that's your faith. 
So how do tests work for you? Quickly, how do tests work for you? They prove your faith is what we're talking about now. They prove your faith. That's how tests can work for you. You can have an opportunity to prove where your faith is, to prove what's most important to you, to prove what you love more than anything else, that you love Jesus. It also perfects your character. It perfects your character. That's what James would talk about. James, the brother of Jesus, would say that. He says, as you go through, you know, same thing. He said, as you go through various trials, James would say, he says, this, what this will do, this is going to produce some things in you. This is going to produce endurance. This is going to produce perseverance. This is going to produce proven character. And proven character will give you hope. So it perfects your character. And the third thing is, it prevents sin. It prevents sin. And we're going to talk about a verse here in a second. But that's how tests work for us. They prove your faith, they perfect your character, and they prevent you from sin. So Peter would say, hey, rejoice, rejoice in a faith punctuated by his presence. Rejoice in a faith punctuated by his presence. Look what he says. He said this, 1 Peter 4, 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ... What did, what did we say? He said, if you were reviled for the name of Christ, you should be disappointed. You should be angry. You should be hurt. You should, be, you should question God. No, no, no. Not to, look, look what he says. You are blessed. If you're going through a difficult time, if you're going through tough circumstances, you are blessed. You say, Peter, how, how is that? Why is that? Look what he says. Here's the reason why. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What does that mean? Well, Paul helps us understand this a little bit better. Paul helps us explain this better. Here's what Paul would say about this. He says, listen, I don't want you, I, I, all of us know, all of us go through certain things. He says this, keep, to keep me from becoming conceited, so this is Paul saying, in, in order for me not to be prideful, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, he says, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. Now, Paul goes on later to say what these thorns are. He says these thorns of the flesh are weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. That's the way that Paul describes these thorns in the flesh. Weaknesses, heart, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. I mean, all of us can relate to this. All of us understand what that is. All of us get that. We've all gone through one or a couple of these at, at, at a time. Maybe you're feeling this way right now. So look, what does Paul do? Paul says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. He says three times. Not, he didn't just, I don't think it was one sit down prayer and he said, God, take this away. God, take this thorn away. God, take this thorn away. I don't think he did that. I think it was over a period of time that Paul just got fed up with whatever it is that this thorn in the flesh was. We don't really know what it was. But Paul, at a, at a time in his life, he just had, had a period of time in his life that he just had enough of it and he couldn't deal with it anymore. And, he, and on three different occasions, he pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave him, that it should leave him. And then he, look what he says. He says, but, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, don't you wish, I know, let's be real. Don't you wish that you would get an audible voice from God at a time when you re, or had just had enough? That you couldn't deal with it anymore? You couldn't go through it anymore? Don't you wish, now listen, Paul got an audible voice from God so that eventually 
somebody can write it down and record it in the second letter to the church in Corinth so that we can be encouraged with the same response from God. In other words, just like God said to Paul audibly, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness through the word of God because it's living and it's active, God is saying that to you and to me today. Just when you think, I can't do this, I've had enough, God take this away from me. Now, I would encourage you to keep praying for God to remove whatever it is that you're, whatever thorn in the flesh that you're going through. There's nothing wrong with asking God, God take this away, God take this away, God take this away. Nothing wrong with that. Paul was not sinning by asking God to do that. Because sometimes God, the answers are yes, but sometimes the, God, the answers are no, which was in the case here for Paul. But sometimes the answers are not yet. So sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no, which is what he said to Paul. And sometimes God says not yet. But the answer for us in those times is my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. He says, now look what Paul says. Therefore, now I remember if you were with us last week, how powerful that word is. Therefore, therefore. What is, he, what is he saying? He's saying what he's just said, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will. What do I do now? What are the implications now? What should I follow up with now? He says, look what he says. I will boast. Wait, what, Paul? I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know why Paul said, I'm, I'm gonna boast? You know why Peter said, I'm gonna rejoice? Why? Because right here, the power of Christ will rest upon me. Peter would say, and Paul would say, and James would say, and Jesus certainly would say, boy, you should rejoice in a faith that is punctuated by his presence on you. That when you go through it, when you go through weaknesses, when you go through hardships, when you go through insults, when you go through difficulties, that's when God keys in the most. He says, for my power is made perfect in your weaknesses. God would say, oftentimes I get the most glory and I'm demonstrated through the most by the way that you show weakness in their weakest areas. And when that happens, Peter would say and Paul would say, that's when the power of Christ rests upon you. He says this in verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I don't know about you, but all of us have thorns in our flesh. They may have maybe health issues. They may be financial issues. They may be addiction issues. They may be relationship issues. I don't know what yours are, but we all have thorns 
in our flesh? What if we decided, what if we said, you know what? I'm gonna pray that God, I'm gonna plead with God that he takes this situation away from me and I would encourage you to do that. And God may be telling you, you know what? No, or God may be telling you not yet. But in those times of no or not yet, can you learn to say, you know what? To the degree that I am suffering, to the degree that I am struggling, to the degree that I am weak, I'm gonna turn up my joy and I'm gonna rejoice. I'm gonna rejoice in the living hope that I have in Christ. I'm gonna rejoice in the fact that in this time, I'm gonna prove what the most valuable, most important thing that I have in my life, what I love the most, and that's my relationship with Jesus more than anything else. And in my weakness, I'm gonna rejoice in the fact that the power of Christ will rest on me. That when I go through something difficult or when I feel weak, then I am strong because it's his power that rests on me to allows me to be able to get through that difficult season, to get through that health issue, to get through that financial hardship, to get through that relationship struggle, whatever it may be for you, that addiction that has a stronghold on your life. I just want you to put your rest in Jesus because that's when you're the strongest. And I hope that you find joy in that. I hope that you rejoice in that. Shortly after Peter wrote his letter, Peter was arrested and Peter was put in a prison cell. And it was a prison cell like you've never seen before. It was in a pit in the ground in a dungeon. There was no place to go other than it was just this big hole in the ground. And Peter was awaiting his execution. And while that time, Peter was writing his second letter to a group of people that were going through the same hardships for being a follower of Jesus. And, and Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.8, he says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with a joy. Look what he says. With a joy inexpressible and full of glory. If anybody had a reason to be in despair, if anybody had a reason to question or doubt God, if anybody had a reason to be hurting and struggling, it was Peter. Yet Peter said, you know what? Even though I don't see him now, even though it doesn't seem like he's around, I love him. I love him. Because of his great mercy and because of his living hope and because I know that through this testing gives me an opportunity to prove my faith. And I know that when I am weak and when I'm in this, that his power, I can, I can sense, I can feel, and I know that his power rests on me. And though you do not see him now, I believe in him. And I hope that that's the kind of faith that you have, that you believe in him and you greatly rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, that a joy that people look at and go, wow, how do you still have joy in the midst of this? Because why? Because of the power of Christ that rests 
on you and that joy is full of God's glory. And as Peter is sitting in that dungeon awaiting his execution, not long after that he was taken out, brought into Nero's circus, waiting to be crucified because that's what the Romans were experts at. And as they laid him down on the cross, I'm sure that Peter stopped and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They probably said, are you ready to recant your faith? Are you ready to say that you know, Jesus isn't the son of God and are you ready to you know, decide that you're no longer gonna be a follower of him and you're no longer gonna tell people about him anymore? And Peter probably said, no, absolutely not. I just don't wanna be crucified in the same way that my savior, my Lord, the one who I love is crucified. So would you crucify me upside down? And that's the way that Peter's life ended. And he wasn't willing to recant because he wasn't willing to turn his back and to deny his Savior, whom he saw with his own eyes resurrected and come out of a tomb. And they could have said, why are you willing to die for a lie? And he would have said, I'm not willing to die for a lie. I'm willing to die for what I know is true and what I saw to be true with my own eyes. I saw him die on a Roman cross. I saw him buried in a tomb and I saw him come out of the grave. I saw it with my own eyes and I will not, I cannot turn my back on him. Where did that strength come from that came from the presence of God on his life in a moment where he was probably most weak? And none of us are gonna be asked to do that. But here's the assurance for all of us that you've put your faith, even though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you've put your faith in the right guy. And with that, you should greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. Rejoice. Keep on rejoicing. You've been given a great mercy. You and I have given an opportunity to prove more than maybe any other time where our faith is. And you and I have given an opportunity right now to experience and to know his presence real in our lives. As we deal with thorns in the flesh, we're gonna, like Paul said, we're gonna boast. And like Peter said, we're gonna rejoice because that's when his power rests on us most. So I hope that you're doing that out there. Thanks for joining us today. I'm gonna close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the fact that even though we don't see you, we love you. Even though we don't even see you now, we believe that you are always, always, always in control. And God, we know the the truth of the fact that our hope is not in this life, that our hope is is in a, place that is reserved for us in heaven because you demonstrated great mercy, that you are what Paul says, rich in mercy. 
And God, in this time, we're going to show the world a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory so that we can prove what we love the most, so that we can show and demonstrate what our most valuable commodity is. And it's not in technology, even though we're so grateful for it now. That's perishable. But our hope, our joy, our peace, our faith is founded in the truth of who you are and what you've done for each and every one of us. And God, we're so grateful in these moments and in these times of thorns in our flesh that your presence becomes so real to us. And that's what we want to pray for. That's what we want to rely on. So Father, I just pray for all of us out there, all of us out there are just praying for the power of your presence to rest on us. Because when we're weak, that's when we're strong. Why? Because it's his power that is made perfect in our weaknesses. Thank you for those that joined us today. I pray you bless them, encourage them in this time. I thank you for all of those out there that are in the healthcare world and that are taking care of sick ones. God, I just pray for them, courage, strength, energy, first responders that are out there. God, just keep them safe, protect them. We thank you for your love and kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.